associate pastor, student pastor preaching Sunday. <laughs> Churches all across America have not their pastor preaching. And so uh, it's kind of been a Christmas tradition for me and my family, actually. Uh, something that we kind of look forward to. So but certainly we are uh, thoughtful and, and prayerful of Pastor Dave while he is getting some rest and some rene renewal. And I'm excited to be with you this morning. Yesterday, millions of kids all across the world picked up a present that may or may not have their name on it in the anticipation of what was inside. And what's unique about that is there are two different kinds of present openers, right? There are the careful tape pullers who really don't care really what's inside. It's all about the presentation, right? And they want to be very careful about the ribbon and the bow. My goodness, what about the bow, right? And then there are those who are like myself, who are, we're not the tape pullers, we're the rippers. Like we're just going for it, right? And so kids all across the world yesterday did exactly that, to look inside the gift. And we, as moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents, we're looking for what? We're looking for the face, the face of surprise, the face of, of anticipation of what was inside, and a little bit of gratitude, but of excitement of what was inside the gift. Some of you sweated out this year. You waited in long lines. You were hopeful that the USPS or UPS or whatever initials would come by your house. Finally dropped off that gift. We were waiting for a gift on Christmas Eve, like that happened. But it's all about the face, right? And it's all about this little gift. But what happens, especially if you have small children, is they get so busy with the gifts and they see all the gifts that are supposed to open that they grab the gift and the one gift that you're ready for them to open, they grab it, they look at it and they throw it away. Thanks, where's the other gifts? And you as a parent feel like, wait a second, I spent weeks getting, preparing, purchasing that gift and that's all I got? Where's the face? But truthfully, spiritually, like we do that a lot with Jesus. It's the day after Christmas and we begin to put the Savior on the shelf. We spend all this time preparing, getting ready, celebrating Christmas traditions, we're wrapping, we're getting gifts. And then when it's all said and done, it's just a big pile of paper. And we find ourselves cleaning up, wrapping up, and we're on to other things. Where's the appreciation? Where's the face? Sometimes we are so busy, as Pastor Curtis mentioned earlier, getting Christmas ready. When it finally takes place, we take a big long breath and we're ready to move on. My mother-in-law, who is listening right now, and I have to be careful about what I say, is a blessed woman and a wonderful lady, godly in many ways. Last night, her Christmas tree was put up because Christmas is over. We've opened the gifts. We've had a meal. We're moving on. So the last thing that me and my family do for her is to put up her Christmas on Christmas Day. And I think about that spiritually, we do very much the same thing. That we pack up our decorations and we move on to the next thing. Decorations go into storage. But the question is, does Jesus have to go into storage? It's the day after Christmas. How do we respond to what Jesus has for us today? We know about yesterday. We spent time celebrating, preparing, and giving thanks. But what about today? You know, the theology of Christmas is, is unique in that 
Um, it, it is a reality that Jesus comes to be among us, that God sent his son to live as man, although he was holy and fully God. And the idea that Jesus comes to live among us is in one of his names, that we call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the, what an incredible thought that God would send his son, who is God, to be among us, to live with us. And the question I have for us today is if God came to be with us, will you be with him? I think we're so guilty of celebrating and never really asking the question, now what? And, and it's an important question to ask. Now that Christmas has happened, now what moving forward? And I think it's in this question that we fight the temptation to put the Savior on the shelf rather than enjoying him every day after Christmas. Paul speaks of this now what kind of question in his letter to the church of Colossae. If you have your scripture, I want to invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Because he's going to answer the question, now what? And for us, as we think about the day after Christmas, as we put our heart and our mind toward the new year, it's almost the same question we have for ourselves. Now what? Colossians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 6 and read through verse 7. Scripture says, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, these two verses aren't very long, but their impact is rather significant. We might look at them as, as pretty pivotal verses in the entire book of Colossians, that in chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, Paul is dealing with kind of establishing himself, establishing Christ, establishing the idea that, that we've got uh, some really powerful and pivotal realities surrounding the teachings of who Jesus is and the authority of who Christ is. And then we have these two verses that call us to remembrance, that we've received Christ, and now what are we supposed to do with that? And then the remaining of chapter, of verse 8, all the way through the end of the book, kind of deal with how do we flesh that out, if you will. And so these two verses are really a hinge to the beginning and the ending of Colossians. But you'll notice here immediately Paul speaks of the gift of Christmas that we celebrated. Verse 6, therefore you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now this phrase is unique in the entire New Testament. Nowhere else is this found in Paul's writings. And the question might be, why did Paul write it this way? Why is it Christ Jesus the Lord? What's interesting about that is Paul is helping us have great clarity as to who exactly Jesus is. That Jesus certainly is the Christ. He is the long-awaited Messiah who will come and take away the sins and the destruction of the world, make all things new at his return. But Jesus is not just the Christ. Jesus is also Lord. And not just any Lord, but he is the Lord. A proper translation of the original language might say it like this, that Christ Jesus, who is the Lord, it's a, it's a reality of not only his person, but, but also his entire entity, that he is not just Jesus the man, but he is Jesus God as the Lord. So Paul is doing something rather unique here. He is beginning to fight against some of the heresy that is happening 
at the church of Colossae. What's interesting about the church is the church is mostly made up of Gentiles. They had very little understanding of the Jewish tradition. And as such, they were open to a variety of false teachers coming in and preaching a false gospel. And the false gospel looked like, hey, Jesus is good and he is a good teacher, but you also need other things that are going to put you in right relationship with God. Things like human traditions and philosophies and mysticism and, and, and really a, a focus on many other realities other than just who Jesus is and his teachings. And so in this Jesus plus theology, there arose from that a heresy. And Paul in this moment, in this phrase, is beginning to fight against that. He's saying, listen, church, Jesus is not just the Christ, but he is the Lord, holy God. And as such, he has all authority and all power. We need nothing more. You should consider the new year. We often think about things that we didn't do, things we need to do, things we need to do more of or less of. And the simple truth is, without being oversimplistic, Jesus is enough. Jesus is all you need. You know, we can chase a lot of things, chase the familiar, chase the new and exciting. We can chase a career path. We can chase our kids. We, we can chase things that in culture make us look good or feel good, but nothing satisfies like Jesus satisfies. So Paul, in this little phrase, Christ Jesus the Lord, reminds us today as we read this in modern time that he's enough. So as you think about the new year, all that you need to do, may I pray and may you be challenged to, to remember that Jesus is enough. We work, we labor, we toil, and at the end of the day, nothing satisfies like Jesus can. Verse 6, therefore, just as you've received Christ, this idea of being receiving him is also unique. Nowhere else is this found in the New Testament. And so as such, we've got to ask the question, why is it written that way? The concept is, Paul is reminding the Colossians that you received Christ but you didn't just receive his teachings. You didn't just receive the fact that he is a man who made miracles take place. But you received him as a person. That more than his message, you received him as Savior. Having received him as Lord and Savior, there's a resulting faith of that. Because of your faith in him, you've received him as the Lord. So, you church have received Jesus. Now what? Well, he tells us. This very unique, very short little word. Just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. If there is one point you need to remember this morning is that we as believers, having received Christ Jesus as our Savior, are called to walk in him. That's it. As you think about 2022, as you think about how to finish this year and begin the next, walk in him. Well, what does it mean to walk in him? And that's kind of the understanding that we're here today to kind of unpack a little bit more. What does it mean to walk in him? To walk in him means to live, to live like Jesus lived. It means to, to understand who Jesus is and then decide how you're going to live your life as a result. Paul walks this idea of walking throughout the entire book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 10. It tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
Later on in chapter 3 in Colossians, he's going to remind them that you once walked in sin. You once lived in sin. But then in chapter 4, he says, but now you can walk, you can live in wisdom. This whole idea of doing something with your faith matters to Paul and it should matter to us. Because it's one thing to come to Christmas Eve service, to come to church and be engaged in fellowship and be engaged in a Bible study and to have knowledge poured upon you as a believer in Christ. But it's something entirely different to do something with that knowledge. And so this morning, this year as we're looking ahead, we need to walk in him, to live in him. Well, Paul in his wisdom helps us know that walking in him means that we're under his lordship means that we're living by his rules and not our rules. In layman's terms, we treat Jesus as the big boss. He's not just our supervisor, he is over all things. And as such, he has all control. We are no longer in control. He sets the pace, he sets the goals, and we follow him. So the solution to the problem we face as believers the temptation of shelving Jesus, shelving our Savior the day after Christmas is solved as we walk in him. Paul's going to give us four very quick ways on how we ought to do that. How should we walk in Christ so that we don't shelve the Savior the day after Christmas? Number one, we need to walk convictionally. Walk convictionally. Walk with convictions in your life. Now, conviction is simply a strong belief. It is a guide to how you make decisions, to how you live your life. It determines where you'll go and what you'll do and what your checkbook looks like and, and where you'll spend your time and your energy and your resources. These convictions really act as kind of guardrails to help determine our steps as believers. And so the scripture says in verse 7, so walk in him rooted in him. And it's this idea of rooted that develops in us certain convictions. Paul uses this metaphor of a tree or plant or agriculture. And he's going to say that a plant will grow if rooted correctly. But you and, all both, you and I both know that a plant won't grow if it's not rooted properly. And spiritually speaking, Jesus taught this principle in the parable of the seeds in Matthew chapter 13. There in verse 5, he begins to tie the idea of how we spread out the gospel seed. And that seed will land on certain kinds of soil. Verse 5, it says, other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But the sun rose and it was scorched. And since it had no root, they withered away. Later on in verse 20, Jesus explains what that means. He says this, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And while tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. If our faith is not rooted in convictions, it's shallow and it's weak. It's not strong enough to withstand the tribulations or the difficulties that are going to come our way over time. And when the cultural winds blow against our faith, we topple over. So our decisions and our passions need to be rooted in the truth of the gospel of Christ. And it's in that root, in those convictions, that we're able to stand firm and stand strong. 
You know, so many people live without real convictions. They may say one thing, may do another. They may have one opinion in, fr in front of a certain crowd and another opinion in front of another crowd. And I think the old adage is true that if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And so as we think about how we live and walk in Christ, we need to be very thoughtful about the convictions that drive us, the convictions that guide us. There's an older missionary named George Robinson who led churches and started churches and, and helped pastors grow in their faith in Central America. And he had a unique problem. He thought, how am I gonna help pastors who are new converts grow in their faith with Jesus when they can't read or write? And so over a period of time, he developed the seven basic commands of Christ. And it's in these seven commands, seven basic commands, where, where Jesus speaks throughout the gospels of these seven basic ideas. And his encouragement to new believers was, do these ideas, do these uh, beliefs, make these the convictional anchors in your life and you will be able to follow Christ and grow in him. And they were very simple. Receive Christ as savior, be baptized, observe the Lord's Supper, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself, give of your time, your talent, and your treasure, and then go and make disciples. And what he and his team discovered is that those were the seven basic commands that Jesus gave people throughout the gospels. And as such, as they followed those convictions, they were able to do incredible things for the Lord. So what convictions do you have? Is it just simple, like seven basic commands? Or maybe there are other convictions that you know God has called you to through the reading of his word, through the encouragement of others. And so the challenge for us is we got to make our life about those convictions that we would live rooted, deeply connected with the Lord. And as such, he moves us to deep places with him. Paul in Ephesians chapter 17 writes this, excuse me, chapter three, verse 17, says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend all the saints, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Listen to this, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. If your desire is to walk in him, you've got to find yourself grounded and rooted with convictions and let those be your guide. So the scripture tells us, it reminds us that we need to walk with conviction. Secondly, we need to walk consistently. So the Bible says there that we're to walk in him rooted and built up in him. This idea of being built up, Paul changes the metaphor from agriculture to construction. We are now going to build up our faith to continually build up our faith, build up our faith and build up our faith and build up our faith. And as a building goes up from bottom to top, so our faith should rise and continue to grow. Years ago, when I was a student pastor here, we would take uh, students to Mexico. Pastor Dave and I would, uh, would bring 80 to 100 students uh, there in border towns in Mexico. We, we can't do that any longer due to the safety concerns. 
Uh, but I remember it was so unique. We would go and we would kind of plan our heart and our mind in one central location. We would divide up into different teams and some would do construction, some would do medical clinics, some would do vacation Bible school, others would do door-to-door kind of things. It, it was so unique and so fun. And my first couple of trips to Mexico, I began to, to look at some of the barrios that we were in, the neighborhoods. And these homes were basically concrete blocks. And I noticed that on top of the, the concrete block on the roof, we would call it, would be giant pieces of rebar, long metal poles that would stick straight up out of the roof. And I, I asked the local pastor, I said, what is, what is that about? He goes, well, here in our town, if the rebar is sticking out of the roof, it means it's unfinished. And so you don't have to get a permit or get permission to continue to add on to your home so long as the rebar is sticking out. I got to thinking about that. I hope that our lives, we live with rebar sticking out that we're always ready to grow and to add on to the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus in our life. That happens as we live consistently. And I think consistency is key. To keep from shelving the Savior, we must walk consistently, consistently growing in our relationship with Christ, adding on to our faith as we continue to grow in Him. I love the song that we just sang, Abide is an incredible song. To be my strength in the night, to be my treasure, my prize, I am yours forever. You're mine to draw me close and to teach me to abide. And I think that the response to that song is, I depend on you. The idea of abiding, as Pastor Curtis mentioned earlier, is to remain connected. And we get this great concept in John 15, where John 5, where Jesus begins to describe what is it like to be a, a vine that's connected And so if he's the vine, we're then the branch that's connected. And as he grows, we're growing. And as we're connected, as we're abiding in him, there is great relationship and great connectivity. And that happens as we're consistently thoughtful about how we're going to grow in our relationship with Christ. And so often I find myself not being very consistent. It's like one step forward, two steps back. Or maybe two steps forward and one step back. But in that lack of consistency, we can get frustrated we can find ourselves just down about things or maybe we can get a little defeated about our growth with Jesus. And I just wanna challenge you to live with rebar in your life, that you're always ready to grow, that you're open and you're consistently thoughtful about how can I grow in my walk with God? What area of my life do I need to, to beef up or home up on what God wants to do in me? Maybe it's prayer, maybe it's the scripture, or maybe I need to learn how to really defend my faith. Or, or maybe it's a variety of other things like things like fellowship and being connected to the body of Christ. Where are you lacking consistency and what can you do to move forward in that consistency? Because that's what it means to be built up. You know, God's design for us is not that we in our spiritual life just be a one room concrete block. God's design for us in our spiritual life is that we continue to grow in him more and more and more and more. Second Peter Chapter three, verse 18, it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. It's a command. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as you think about the day after Christmas, saying all this time celebrating, wrapping gifts, doing all those things. My challenge for us today is, hey, we've got to remember that if I'm going to walk in him, I've got to walk consistently, that I may grow in my walk with him. But not only consistently, we need to walk confidently. This is to walk in him rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. To walk with confidence, 
because you've been established in the faith. What Paul is doing is he's summarizing, since you've been rooted and now that you are continually being built up in him, now you are established in the faith. As you live convictionally, as you live consistently, you'll be able to live confidently. To walk with confidence means not to be wishy-washy or to have doubt or confusion, to walk with confidence. It's not to walk in your own strength, but to walk in the strength of your faith. So Paul talks about that. One of the unique things about Colossians is that Paul writes his church and it's a church that he didn't start. Epaphras, one of his disciples started this church. And so in a spiritual sense, Paul's kind of a grandfather to this church. And he tells him, hey, you were taught these things that establish you in the faith. And I know that you were taught them because I taught the one that taught them to you. And I, as an apostle of Christ, Paul is saying, I was taught by the Holy Spirit. And what I've done is I've made my life a way that I'm teaching others the wisdom of God, that they would teach rightly and truthfully the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is you can trust what you've been taught. The church of Colossae was struggling with some of the same issues we're facing today in our culture. Who do you trust? When you turn on the TV, when he opens up social media, there's so much confusion. Who do you trust? What opinion do you trust? What half truth do you trust? What rumor do you trust? Is it this way or is it that way? And we as a culture are confused. And in that confusion, that breeds doubt and it breeds fear. What Paul is saying here is you, because you're rooted in him, because you've got a consistent walk and growth in him, you can walk in confidence, knowing that what you've been taught is the truth. And what he's been taught is what we have today as the scripture. Listen, church, we don't have to be uncertain. We don't have to be unsure. We don't have to live in doubt or fear or confusion. We can trust the word of God. So to walk in him is to walk confidently, not in your own strength, but confidently that Jesus is who he is, that the word is what it is. It is without error. It is true. It can be trusted. Walking confidently is a, is a challenge for some of you because you're prone to doubt, you're prone to fear. I, wanna, I just want you to be very thoughtful about allowing Jesus, as we spoke of earlier, to be enough and to find your confidence, not in your strength, not in your own ability, not in what you can or can't do, but find your confidence in the strength and the truth of the word of God. Because that's where I've put my trust in every day. And as I do so, there's a confidence about me that I don't have to fear, I don't have to worry, I don't have to stay confused. I can walk confidently. So walking confidently, but then number four and last, and we'll close with this, walk cheerfully. Walk cheerfully. I love what Paul does here. He reminds them, hey, you've been established in the faith just as you were taught. And now kind of switches gears here. He says, abounding in thanksgiving. We should walk in him and we should be thankful as we walk in him. 
There's more than just a little thankfulness. There's an abounding thankfulness. It's an overflowing praise. This overflowing praise has some emotion behind it. It's it's not this stoic thankfulness or, or stoic gratitude. We praise because we're thankful. And in our gratitude, there is a joy. And so as that joy begins to bleed out in our life, we then will become cheerful people. You know, the day after Christmas, many of us find ourselves walking away from cheer and goodwill toward men as we stand in long return lines or the idea of going back to work or back to school begins to settle in or the fact that we've been with our kids who've been home from college, our in-laws for way too long, the cheer begins to wane. Since you've received Christ, how should you live? Live with cheer, live with joy, smile, It gives your face something to do. For some of you, it's easy. For others of you, it's hard. And for others of you, it's it's hard because you've had circumstances that have seemed to steal and have taken away your joy. And not to be trite, I don't want to be sensitive. Certainly there's moments in time for grieving and mourning and loss and heartache. But I don't anticipate that the the Lord would call us to live like that forever. And so as your joy has been challenged by a circumstance, I would challenge you to find your joy in your salvation, not your circumstance. And to seek the Lord to reestablish the joy of the love of Christ that's in you. And as you seek him to reestablish that, I, I think the Lord is gonna do a work in you. Often, I would just say it this way, it's easier to hold on to loss than it is to let go and allow the life of Christ to come in and allow that joy to overflow and cheer. Stop holding on so tightly. Loosen your grip. He's in control. And in that, the Lord is going to live through you. The joy is going to come out. Joy, thankfulness, gratitude, these are all litmus tests to genuine faith throughout the New Testament. And once we lose sight of that gratitude or lose sight of that thankfulness, lose sight of that joy, I think we're stepping away from a right and true and genuine relationship with Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter one, verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why? Because they stopped honoring him and stopped thanking him. So let, we, let us be a church that walks in thankfulness, walking cheerfully. Let our lives and our hearts be marked with gratitude. Be thankful. So if you're a child or a young adult and you've not said thanks to mom and dad recently, thank them. If you're a spouse, if not turned to your wife or turned to your husband and said thank you, thank them. If you're a grandparent who's not turned to a family member or a friend or a neighbor and said thank you in a while, thank them. Challenge for us is to walk in cheerful thankfulness. So why walk? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the rest of the book kind of unpacks that. We walk in him, we walk with convictions and with consistency and with this idea of confidence and with cheer in our life as we do so, It will be important because as you'll begin to notice, and I wanna challenge you to read the rest of the book over the holiday break, 
is that there's going to be philosophies that are going to challenge your faith. And so Paul's going to remind them, hey, you've been filled in Christ. And in that filling, in that indwelling, you've been identified with him. So as your identity, walk and live in such a way. You are dead into your sin, but God made you alive, forgiving you of that sin, canceling that debt through the cross. So as such, walk in him. Live in Christ, that as people look at you, they'll never be confused who you are. They'll know that you have been with Jesus. What would it look like if we didn't shelf the Savior the day after Christmas? What would your family look like? What would your, your workplace look like, your school look like, or, or your neighborhood? What would your church look like? What would our community look like if we took the time every day after Christmas to keep the idea that God didn't call us just to open the gift, but God called us to receive the gift and walk in him. I want to give you a little tool, a point of application. I think it may be important for us as we finish this morning. Over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of put in our newsletter and some of our um, communication this idea that we're calling our church to renew in 22. We've identified five areas that may be possible renewal points for people within our body and within our community. And those areas are, are the Bible and worship, prayer, helping other people, and then giving of your time, talent, and treasure. So there are five simple areas that can be a source of encouragement, maybe a, an anchor to the idea of renewing my life in Jesus, renewing some of the commitments I need to make and have made, and being thoughtful about how I might do that in this new year. gsfbc.org slash renew is a great place for you to go. You'll get some resources there, some Bible reading plans, some opportunities for some connection through prayer, some accountability with other people who also want to renew. And so if you sign up to Renew in 22, what you're gonna get is some, some emails that may come your way just to remind you of your commitment, some encouragement. No one's gonna browbeat you. No one's gonna put your name on a list and publish that. It's just simply between you and the Lord and then we wanna be a, a vehicle to help encourage you that you would walk in Christ and the commitments he's called you to. And sometimes we need a little direction and we need a little help. And so our staff and our church family wants to be there in that way. www.gsfbc.org slash renew is a great place for us to get those resources and that accountability. So here's the challenge as we walk away this morning. We all have the gift of Christmas. The question is, are we gonna toss the box or worse, just play with the box rather than really live with the gift every day. Don't shelve the Savior. Walk in Him.